Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And this is a show today where I have had questions, and there are things I want to know more about. And one of the people we turn to when there are things we want to know more about is Amherst College professor Ilan Stavans, professor of Latin American and Latino culture. <clears throat> so pleased you could be with us again, professor. Um, you have organized for some years now, I think this is the fifth year, a series at Amherst College, Point Counterpoint, and it's about to begin. So tell us what it is, and then we're going to get into why it is and who it is. It's a fascinating series. Let's start. Point Counterpoint, why and where? Why? Uh, well, first of all, thank you both for having me here. It's a pleasure, as always. Um, Point Counterpoint began in 2016 when it felt as if democracy in America had reached its limit and we were falling apart as a nation. The hope was to turn campuses to places that were more open to deferring ideas, to dissenting ideas, not always hearing the same left-wing rhetorical points, but bringing in conservative thinkers that could articulate intelligently views that the students, the faculty, the staff, and the public at large could appreciate. It was a wonderful first season in that year, 2016, and since then it has continued. This year it will be called The People's Song, and it will focus on democracy and the English language. To what extent is the English language the last uh, resort, the last element that we still have, this country of 325 million people that binds us together and that allows us to talk to one another? The people's tongue. Why the people's tongue? Why call it that? It is based, <clears throat> Bill, on a book that I published last year that uh, brings together reflections on how English has changed in this country from before the War of Independence to the present. And those reflections are by politicians, by lexicographers, by poets, by translators, by teachers, by average Americans that are pondering what is it that we speak and how we speak it, what, where the words come from, how different words are used by different political parties or ideological views. And to what extent is, is the English language still ours, the people's language, or, or has it become the language of the elite or the language of one particular political group? And the hope is to allow people that sometimes don't think about the English language to talk reflectively on how English is allowing them pro to, to project a message, how they choose their words, and if words can sometimes fail them. Well, I, <clears throat> Professor Stavins, I just want to... Tongue is used in many different languages, like in Spanish it's lingua, and right. it, it, biblically people speak many tongues. Right. Tongue is used to describe language. Right. In this case, tongue is a synonym of language. We speak the English tongue or the English language. And I like that metaphor, Buzz, because it is, after all, the way we move our tongue inside our mouth that, that allows for those sounds and silences to project the words that, uh, that make us communicate with one another. Well, Professor Ilan Stavans, you just told us that 
this series, this point-counterpoint series at Amherst College began in 2016 because, to paraphrase, you saw, you felt, you discerned a crisis in American democracy. Indeed. Well, at least the series has gone on for five <laughs> years. That said, uh, American democracy has not exactly uh, undergone a burgeoning growth in the last five years. Sure. So what do you see? What do you see yeah. as, as this project, uh, trajectory? I am, uh, Bill and Buzz, I am as uh, dismayed, likely, uh, as you are on the state of our democracy and even more so by the uh, politicians that represent us and make a case of how we're going to move into the future, sometimes in very radical and in uh, the uh, appalling ways. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's any other system of government that is better than democracy. But the quality of democracy is always at stake, no matter which, at which time we are. It, it's the fragility. It's of, the fragility. It's the fact that it's it feels ephemeral. That that a wrong turn can drive us just to the abyss. Germany in the 1930s right? was a democracy. Yes. It, shows how fragile that historical... And if you don't understand what the fiber of democracy is, if you don't really engage young people in understanding how fragile it is, it can evaporate in a second. The purpose in this particular case is to make campuses where the young people are being trained to be future leaders, future professionals, lawyers, doctors, scientists, to reflect on what they have and how it will be their turn to be in command. And it is at this age between 18 and 22 where they can be porous, punchy enough to understand the different viewpoints. But if we isolate the campuses and only give one particular voice, the voice of one side of the ideological divide, we ourselves are not helping democracy. Interesting to me that you said that uh, the elite colleges, of which Amherst is certainly one, uh, do tend to have a uh, left-of-center political ideology that permeates the campus. That's actually a critique and a criticism that is made by the right wing and has been made along with others, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis saying, see, there are a bunch of left-wingers, and I'm going to shut it all down, and I'm going to institute uh, right-wing ideology and impose <laughs> right. that on the college. Right. But tell us about this idea of having different voices yeah. in this point-counterpoint series and how it's been received. And then I want to hear about who's coming yeah. this year. I, I, I take it as my own mission, as my own quest, Bill, to open up the dialogue on campus and bring people that sometimes the student body or the faculty or you know, the administration itself might not like or want to hear because they could be uh, threatening voices or because they could be presented as voices that are uh, being paid to say something that the majority of of those listening are not going to be happy with. But that is precisely what a campus should be. A campus should be a place where you hear very divergent opinions, and the the students have a chance to make up their minds. You don't want to form them as clones. You want to shape them in order to make their own minds, and that is 
only possible if they are, have a, a marketplace of possibilities before them, all ranges. The, the whole point is to bring guests to the campus that are not simply going to come to drop an ideological bomb just for the pleasure of seeing how it explodes. Instead, to bring people that can articulate a conservative or a liberal or a centrist view in an intelligent, thorough, deep fashion so that the, those that are listening can, can understand what those ideologies are all about. And I think that's an unassailable aspiration, Professor Stobbins, but sometimes if you give a crazy ideologue a platform, you're legitimating an idea that is a little bit over the edge. So we always have to sort of balance um, how crazy we're going to let ideologies be that we're going to present to young, impressionable people. Absolutely, Buzz. And I think that, that the goal in curating a series like this is finding a, a, a speakers that are articulate, that are thorough, and that are interested in that dialogue, so, not in coming with that bomb, but are interested in also hearing what the next generation thinks in persuading them. All of us want to be able to persuade somebody else, not to hammer them over the head with the same message, but to, to you know, to advance our own ideas. And the only way is to test them. What better place than a college to test those ideas? Okay. Who's coming? This year, we have an incredible lineup. John McWhorter, the conservative opinion writer for the New Yorker, for the New York Times, is coming on March 1st, Friday, March 1st. We have the former uh, editor-in-chief of Merriam-Webster, the uh, dictionary, John Morse, who is coming on March 28th. In the end, it is the words that we're using, and I want to ask him about how words are chosen into the dictionary. What, what words are left out of the dictionary? What are the politics of a dictionary itself? And how many times does a word have to appear in common usage before it will make it into the dictionary? make it to it. That's yeah. fascinating. It is. And by, by, by uh, uh, the editor-in-chief who ha must have some criteria of what makes it and doesn't make it, and must also have his own opinions of what words shouldn't have made it, but made it in the end nonetheless. Make sure you don't diss him. <laughs> I'm going to try, Buzz. <laughs> After that, we have the novelist Dan Brown of The Da Vinci Code, who is incredibly popular. And the goal here is to engage a novelist, a best-selling writer, in exploring the, th those bricks that make every page, the words that are chosen, how do they fall into the right location on the page when he has in mind that it's the general audience that is really reading him and not an elite audience like Bill and Boz? <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me, you know, the, the, the uh, maxim, the, the tagline for the Antioch Review has been for decades and decades the best words in the best order. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is just as beautiful a sentence about, about any language, and the English language in particular, as one might think of. In the end, it's not what we're saying only, but how we're saying it that matters. Okay. How many uh, events? So those are three, and then we have an, uh, a terrific uh, Ukrainian-American poet who is 
who is hard of hearing and who is uh, an activist about both the Israeli Hamas and the Russian-Ukrainian war, uh, Ilya Kaminsky, who is coming on April 18, and then the uh, Jap Japanese-American novelist and um, Zen master Ruth Oseki will also come to us and talk about silence, the value of silence, uh, which I think is always as important as the value of words. It is the space in, in between our words that has to be as emphatic as the words themselves. A lax tongue. <laughs> A lax tongue. How has this series been received at Amherst College? You have a a uh, wide ideological spectrum, a diverse voices you're presenting this year and you have in years past. Have you had pushback on the college campus? We have had the usual um, effervescence on campus. Uh, some the, usual the usual effervescence. Do you like that expression? <laughs> the poetic expression? <laughs> uh, the usual upheaval. Sometimes some uh, speakers, when announced, are is seen with, with suspicion, and others are quickly embraced. That is a wonderful first step. That means that people are paying attention. The series has been very well received. I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for the campus to uh, hear itself and hear others. But as important, Bill and Buzz, for me, curating, hosting this series is about making Amherst open to the public at large. And is it open to the community? It's open to the entire community, free of charge. And you can either come in person, and I'm hoping that as many people will come, and you can also zoom in and be, be, be watching it, but also ask questions via Zoom. So the hope is, you know, this college on the hill that is not isolated or a bubble, but it's in conversation itself with the community at large. We are speaking with Amherst Professor Ilan Stavans, who is a professor of Latin American and Latino culture and is a distinguished author. He's written about many cultural issues and specifically about language. He is the uh, creator of the series at Amherst College, Point Counterpoint, which starts on March 1st this year. The title of it is The People's Tongue, and I want to ask the question, why English? A really difficult language. Oh. The People's Tongue? The universal language? <laughs> We're going to take on that subject right after this. to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. <laughs> we continue our conversation with, with Amherst College Professor Elon Stavins, Professor of Latin, Latin American and Latino Culture. He is the creator of the Point Counterpoint series about to start at the college, free and open to the public. And this, the title of this year's series, The People's Tongue, which is English of all languages in the world. Why English? Well, 
It is English, Bill, because it is our language, for better or worse. It's the language that we inherited or were colonized by um, from England. It's an incredibly difficult tongue to ask any immigrant, um, and they will tell you how long it takes to learn to spell. And this immigrant is among them. Uh, to this day, I am humbled by the uh, opportunity that I have of being the one that corrects my student papers. They are the native speakers, and for me, English is a, an adopted tongue. And uh, Your first language being? Spanish and Yiddish. Uh, and so it is a language that some of us who came to it from the outside really love it. Uh, but really know how complex it is as well. But English is, it seems to me, and I didn't mean to start this question with a but, and, let's start with affirmatively, and <laughs> English is the language of colonialism. English has spread across the globe because of imperialism, because so of colonialism. Spanish. The Spanish of Mexico is a, is a language of colonialism. The entire Latin America, with the exception of Brazil, in certain parts that are Franco... Because Brazil had a different colonial power. Portuguese. <laughs> Portugal. And, and French is also a language of colonialism, but English is... A, uh, by the way, all the Romance languages. They are, sure. Um, but uh, English is the language that, aside from being colonial and imperial has become also the, the lingua franca of today, the way Latin was in the Renaissance, in the Middle Ages, and then German or French, where in the 18th century or 19th century, it is the language that actually today has many more second language speakers than native speakers. For every two native speakers of English, there are at least three non-native speakers somewhere in the world learning the English language because they want to advance their lives, their careers, their businesses, etc. Because it's the language of international business. Of business, of education, of sports, of politics. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a foreign country and asked someone, how did you learn English? And they said, on television or in the movies. And that is, that's astonishing, boss, that we see a television show or a movie as entertainment, but many people see it as an educational tool. That's how they entered the English language, through those movies, through that, those, that television. And so it is incredible to see how immigrants, little and not so little, eventually acquire the English language and are capable of... Uh, changing the country from within as a result. That's what we want. That's also, that is what democracy is. Mm. The hope that those that are coming from the outside and the children will come with a way of speaking the language that is, that is theirs, different from ours. Every generation has its own approach to the language. Professor Elon Stavins, so this is the fifth year. What did you learn in the first four years of running this point-counterpoint um, pro project uh, that you that helped you uh, frame the fifth year. Some of I I am not the only one that curated all those years. There are colleagues of mine that have curated with different that that have curated them with different themes. What I have learned was is from 2016 to the present. Uh, this is I think my third or fourth iteration as the curator host is that uh, in spite of how polarized we are, in spite of how heated the debates might be, people are truly interested in listening to the other side. If the other side is ready to offer its message 
in an articulate, intelligent way. We, we, it's very easy to demonize those that think unlike us. But I think at the core, we all want to understand how somebody else reached a very different opinion, a different conclusion. And that fortifies or challenges the way we see ourselves. That's what I have learned. I think it's, there's a certain humility that results from all this that makes you see that people that are unlike you, that think in very different ways, are as human, as passionate, as devoted to their own views as, as you are. And it's good that we have people that think different, differently from us. We don't want everybody to think the same way. Well, actually, underneath it all, we probably do, but we, we <laughs> to deny it. I, what he I just disagreed with you because you don't think like him. <laughs> what, what, I, what I would like to know a bit more about, uh, Professor Elon Stavins, is this group, which strikes me as, first of all, they're famous, but beyond and well-known and well-respected, but it's an eclectic group. It's not sort of this side or that side. So can you tell us a bit more about how you curated this year's program and what you're looking for? Yeah. What I was looking for, Bill, is the opportunity to bring a, people who have mastered their trade um, and give us a glimpse of how that trade is defined by the languages or the silences that they use. I have sought people that are ideologically different from me, but I have also gone to people who are different in other ways that, are, that spend their lives uh, running a dictionary, for instance, or that are coming from a part of the world that is very different and that are activists that might have very different opinions from me. What I have sought is to bring people who have diverse opinions and can present them to a broad public of students, of staff, of faculty, and the general audience to see if, and that is the dream that I have, to see that something that we take for granted every day, the words that we're using, as if they were light, as if they were disposable, actually are the essence of who we are. And every writer, every politician, every, every professional needs to polish their language to be conscious of the words that they use because those those words ultimately are the way those individuals are dressing themselves up to the rest of us. And I want I want this series this season to help people become more conscious and conscientious of what it means to use the words that we use. Where's the series? Is it in person as well as online? Tell us about that. Yeah, the series will be in person. It will be at Stern Auditorium in Amherst College, and it will also be available online, though I invite everybody to come because of the opportunity of uh, seeing those guests and having books signed by them. And it will be on successive Thursdays. Everybody should go. Your wonderful audience should go. What time? It will be 7 p.m. on Thursdays, with the exception of one day that will be on Friday because the guests couldn't come any other any other time. And if you go to Amherst College website and look for Point Counterpoint, you will be able to see the lineup. You will see some of the details. You will have also the Zoom 
the Zoom uh, link and all other necessary information, including some of the themes that will be discussed in each of the sessions. And will there be the opportunity for Q&A, that is, to engage Absolutely. with the speakers? Absolutely. That will be the crucial part. There will be a, a conversation one-on-one -on -one with me uh, that will last about 30 minutes or 35 minutes, and then it is the audience that will engage the guests that are coming from the outside. Okay. So in that regard, my last question for you, Professor Yolan Stavins, who keeps order? How do you keep this from going off the rails when there can be contentious propositions and questions? Can I bounce this question back to you, Bill? Who keeps No, of order? course not. No, I disagree. <laughs> that was a bad idea. Teacher, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, who keeps order in democracy? Well, I think that what 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 keeps order in conversations like this is just the desire to be civil and to be responsible and I think the speakers are the most civil and engaged, and the audiences understand very well that we will understand each other if we are respectful of the opinions that are being expressed. So one thing that I have not seen and I don't expect to see, and I hope I don't, is, uh, you know, fights or rowdiness. In the end, we might disagree we should disagree, but we should disagree in a very respectful way. That's the whole point. This is Amherst College. It's not Congress. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and where do people go if they want more information? Or if want they want up? more information, they should go to the Amherst College website, amherstcollege.edu, uh, and uh, search for point-counterpoint. All the information will be available there. Professor Elon Stavins, we'll have you back on each occasion, before each occasion, to help us know who is coming, what their field of expertise is, and why we want to hear them. Thanks so much for being with us. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for bringing me. You to your side call the world By virtue of suffering I claim to have won You claim to have never been hurt Both of us say Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.